if you would have told me 10 years ago that I was going to be involved in prison ministry, I would not have believed you. God just kind of eased me into it. And it kind of started back when I was working in a job that suddenly required me to start going into the prisons, into the men's prisons, to give the GED test. And I really didn't want to do it. I was really scared to go in there. As part of the GED test, um, the the students are required to write an essay. So as I was giving them the test, sometimes I would read through their essays. I started noticing that every time there was at least one man who would write about his experience um, of becoming a Christian while he was in prison. I was initially interested in the women's prison ministry after going to one of the ladies' mix and mingles one Sunday morning. It was really interesting to me what they were doing and how the ladies were responding. I first got into prison ministry about 20 years ago. We actually went into 201 Poplar, and it was just a great, a great opportunity to um, worship with inmates, and I began to see that Inmates are just like us, people who need Jesus. I think seeing the ladies be ready. You know, sometimes when we come to church, we're coming to church as services are starting or maybe even after services start. But every Saturday that we were there, the ladies would already be in the area waiting on us. I just never had realized before that for one, that there were that there were true Christians in prison, and two, that they were um, coming to know the Lord while they were in prison. Truly, I get I leave um, prison after sitting around the table and worshiping with these women. I feel like I come away with more. They are sitting and waiting for you to to share a word about Jesus with them and yet I leave feeling like I've been the one blessed. It just really helped me to realize the importance of people just being willing to go in and spend time with people in prison who are really our brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, they need us to come in there and kind of walk alongside them because, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to live the Christian life, we think in the world, but it's really hard for them inside those walls. And so prison ministry is an opportunity to be used by God, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to love God by loving on people that He loves. Speaking for myself, I can just tell you that the rewards of doing prison ministry are so much greater than I ever would have realized. The scripture where Jesus says the fields are white into harvest. I mean, we think we have to do mission work. Mission work is wonderful, but um, the, the prisons are our mission work. They're in our own backyard. They are um, a great field. Actually, two scriptures that nag always in the back of my mind is the one where it says, I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And then the scripture in Hebrew 13 that says, continue to remember those in prison as if you were in prison with them. So seeing how ready the ladies were and that it was such a need for them, and also to know that it's a command for Jesus for us to actually visit and uh, spend time in prison with those in prison. Those two things motivated me and that's what is inspiring me to continue with the women's prison ministry. Amen. Well, this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. I rejoice 
today for a special reason. This is a really unique morning today at Highland. I'm excited to share it with you. We got a lot going on today. But, but to begin, I'm really thankful that Brandon came and led us in communion this morning. Uh, Brandon works at Hope Works. He's here today for our, our prison workshop during, at 10 a.m., formerly incarcerated. We often talk about redemption, but today you got to see redemption. Will you thank me, uh, thank Brandon, I'm sorry, with me? Thanks, buddy. <clears throat> really thankful for that. And then you just heard from some of the women. There are others who are working in a local prison facility ministering to women. And they're doing that like they said in that video because Jesus says that he was imprisoned and we came to visit him. Uh, you may not know that twice a month, in addition to that, Highlanders men go out to Whiteville Prison and lead to worship or a worship service out there twice a month. And then you may not, not also know that HopeWorks is about to launch in another local corrections facility and are looking for a bunch of faith encouragers who'd be willing to go into the prison, both men and women, and encourage those who are in their HopeWorks program working to rehabilitate and to be prepared to get a job when they leave prison. All of that being said, if, if we can find the volunteers for those ministries. And so today at 10 a.m., right after this, in the chapel, we're doing this special prison ministry workshop during class time. So Ron Wade and Lawana Maxwell we've, are, are leading that. We've got prison chaplains coming just to talk to us here at Highland. And maybe you're thinking, eh, you know, I, I don't know that I'm being called to go into the prisons, but you kind of want to know a little bit more about the state of incarceration today and, and its impact on people of faith, why people of faith should care about it. And, and if so, if, if any of those might describe you, I really hope that you'll go there today. You heard Beverly remind us in that video that Hebrews tells us to remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. And today I want to try that. I want to use prison and incarceration as, as an entry point into a larger conversation. Okay, a larger conversation. But, but what I want us to do, first of all, is to think about what we think about the incarcerated, those people in prison. And I think that as we think about them, we'll realize we're thinking in part about ourselves. What do you think? What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later, he changed his mind and he went. The father went to the second son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. Literally, I'm out the door, on my way. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first. And Jesus said to him, well, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you didn't change your minds and believe him. Matthew 21. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about grace. A few weeks ago, or I guess months ago at this point, we did this church-wide survey. A bunch of you participated in it, and I'm really thankful. And you did great. I mean, just right answer after right answer. Got to be the smartest church this side of the Mississippi. Did great. Well, except that one question. You know which one I'm talking about, don't you? 
You see, we asked you to mark which statements you believed with on one of those questions, and this was one of the options. I believe nothing I do or have done can earn my salvation. Well, we were hoping you'd put a little check by that one, but one out of three of you did not. So look at the two people sitting closest to you right now. Just, just look at them. If they look like someone who believes in grace, it's you that doesn't. I mean, that's how stats work, y'all, they're stats. Maybe this story about a father and his two sons that we just read has something to teach us about grace, some of us who aren't so sure about it. But what is, what is grace? In 2013, the Vera Institute took a group of corrections officials, so uh, wardens, lawyers, guards, prison guards, social workers, and, and one formerly incarcerated guy, took them to Germany to tour prisons over in Germany. So Germany's crime rates are a lot lower than ours. They incarcerate a lot fewer people than we do, and fewer of their incarcerated people commit crimes when they get out of prison. So this group of corrections officials wanted to know why. And so they tour these prisons, and you can see pictures in the article, just prison after prison that looks less like the concrete wasteland, concrete and barbed wire wasteland that you and I think about when we think about prisons. And they look more like, kind of like a resort or a really nice college campus with some fences. But prisoners inside, they walk around freely. They play darts with metal darts. They eat these great meals, catered, really nice meals. And right there in the kitchen are knives for the prisoners to pick up and use at lunch. And so this warden from New Mexico sees these knives in the lunchroom and he just can't get over it. He, he cannot fathom a world in which he would let a knife anywhere close to any of his inmates back in his facility in New Mexico. But he thinks about it. He asked the warden there in Germany a question about it. He realizes that this, this prison here in Germany, where these knives are available, that there's hardly any violence in it. And he compares that to his prison back in New Mexico, overrun by violence. He sighs, he looks back at those knives and says, I guess you get from people what you expect of them. I guess you get from people what you expect of them. Maybe that's grace, or at least a start at answering grace. I remember this Bible Bowl question back in elementary school. You may not remember what Bible Bowl is, and, and if, you, if you'd never heard of it, it's because you're a cool Christian. I wasn't, I guess. A competition on Bible knowledge was really appealing to me. Now, preachers talk about everyone being God's child, but when you took home a trophy from Bible Bowl, you kind of knew you were God's favorite kid. <laughs> you know, you, you had a trophy to prove it. So I remember this really hard question, though, at Bible Bowl. It really threw me for a loop. The question, what's the difference between mercy and grace? Hard question. It reminds me of this book, Just Mercy by a guy named Brian Stevenson. Stevenson started the Equal Justice Initiative, which defends people on death row in Alabama, and they've now moved to defend others in other states. And he wrote a book about this work that he calls Just Mercy. And if you think about what he's doing, defending those on death row, 
Mercy is the goal. The only reason you do that is to prevent the convicted, sometimes wrongly convicted, as he's discovered, from receiving the most severe punishment we offer. And I suppose that's what mercy is, isn't it? Not giving to someone what they deserve punitively in terms of punishment. That's, that's mercy. But I got to thinking about it, and he's not, he's not just dealing in mercy, he's also dealing in grace, isn't he? Because he, he's not only preventing them from receiving something, but he's also giving them something else. In this case, himself, he's, he's giving himself to him. He intervenes, he becomes their intercessor. He becomes the legal counsel that they can't afford or society says that they don't deserve. And maybe that's what grace is, giving people more than they deserve, a gift. So I think mercy and grace bleed together. It was a bad Bible question, right? You got mercy not giving to someone what they deserve and grace giving someone what they don't deserve. It's why both words, mercy and grace, are used to describe the cross of Jesus Christ, where by his blood, he prevents us from receiving the punishment we deserve, and at the same time, gives us the salvation we did not deserve. Mercy and grace bleeding together. And that's why I wanna talk about grace and why that survey we did a couple months ago was a little bit troubling because Stevenson, who wrote Just Mercy says, embracing our brokenness, our, our sinfulness, our, our failures, our flaws, it creates in us a need and desire for mercy. And that makes sense. If, if I realize I've got problems, I, I don't want what I deserve because of those problems. But perhaps also a corresponding need to show mercy. If I've received mercy, then I'm more apt to show it. Well, can we replace those words with the word grace? Think about it. Embracing our brokenness creates a need and desire for grace, and perhaps a corresponding need to show grace. Do you think that's true? Well, if so, what does that say about that survey where, where one-third of us said we didn't need grace? Well, here's what I think. I mean, what Stephen's talking about there is easy to write in a sentence, but is really hard, embracing your brokenness. Embr embracing our brokenness is not easy, but if we don't see ourselves as broken, as really, totally broken, if we don't, if we don't see ourselves as totally dependent on the grace of God given to us when we did not deserve it, then we may not be gracious people. If we think we earned our salvation, that we gave all the right answers on the Bible Bowl test, that we said yes when the Father came a call in telling us to work in his vineyard, then we may not desire grace for those who first told the Father no. And I think it's that temptation that causes Paul to say, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. I read this 
parable that we started with of a father and his two sons. Think about that, a father and his two sons parable. What does that remind you of? Right, the other parable about a father and his two sons. And in this parable, you've got this, the front one we read today, you've got this son who tells the father no, and then later tells him yes, which makes me think about that son who tells his father no, squanders his wealth, eats pig slop, and after a long time of saying no, comes back and tells the father yes. And then you've got in this parable this other brother who tells the father yes, and then, well then, ends up telling the father no, which reminds me of that brother who stays home, works in his dad's fields, but then can't stand it when the father receives this wayward brother back who's been saying no for so long, didn't wanna be part of the party his dad was throwing, crosses his arms and says, no. Maybe the two parables aren't meant to be read together, but I just can't seem to help it. But what I can't get over in both parables and I'm about, to, I'm about to share the gospel in these two parables. So listen in, lean in. What I can't get over in both parables is that both boys remain sons of the father. There's not a moment in either parable when the father says, depart away from me, you evildoer, or, or get behind me, Satan. In both parables, both boys remain sons, one saying yes and one saying no, and both are the father's sons. I was out at Whiteville Prison out past Oakland and Eads a couple weeks ago on a Sunday morning, preached about Jesus. It's cold out there at Whiteville, concrete, barbed wire, cold place. Prison, kind of like you might imagine it, like the kind you've seen in the movies. So I sit down in this small group. We're doing small groups to start the worship service out there. And I, I sit in this small group, and I'm listening to him talk. And one of the guys looks at me. He's kind of an older guy, pretty grizzled guy. He looks at me and says, Eric, it's really hard in here. I said, yeah, I'm sure it is. He said, no, Eric, you don't understand. He said, you've got to fight for everything in here. He says, you've got to fight other inmates. You've got to fight prison guards. You got to fight administration. You got to fight for everything in here. Okay. So, isn't there this part of us that says, well, that's how it should be? Shouldn't have done what you did. Should have said, shouldn't have said no to the father. Should have said yes when the father came a calling. Should have said yes maybe the second time or the seventh time or the tenth time. Shouldn't have kept saying no. We here on the outside. Well, we said yes when the father came calling. Don't complain to me, we say as we cross our arms. I was struck by a piece in that story about the, the trip that went to Germany to visit their prisons there. They came away convinced that maybe there is a better way to do things. So in America right now, we incarcerate far more than any other country in the world. Russia is a very distant second. We incarcerate 2.2 million people, okay? Which is up 700% since 1970, 700%, due in large part to the war on drugs. And so the really sad thing is that most of those, the majority will reoffend after they get out, reoffend, all right? 
And so they're over there visiting these prisons in Germany where hardly anybody reoffends, where they incarcerate far fewer, and it's a lot different experience. And they're thinking, maybe, you know, if a little more grace was built into the way we do things, it might actually be, it might actually be more effective, maybe. But there's this professor there on the trip, a legal professor, and he says, but how do you sell the public on that who's afraid of crime? He says, the problem is we don't have a sympathetic human exemplar, he said, a sympathetic human exemplar, which is a very professor thing to say, right? What's he talking about? Well, think about the civil rights movement for a second. The civil rights movement starts in large part because Emmett Till, a little innocent 14-year-old boy, is brutally killed. It starts also in part because Rosa Parks, an innocent, tired woman, is told to give up her seat and arrested, right? People wrongly suffering and people rise up in their support. Or think about the refugee crisis we talked about a few weeks ago. I'm so impressed by the way this church has responded. And, and I think if, if we're to consider why we responded, it's in part because the images we're seeing are of people, including children, who did nothing to cause this conflict, have been forced from their homes because of no fault of their own, unjustly suffering. Or, or think about the Ebola crisis of a year ago and a couple years before that. I mean, why were we galvanized to support? Well, because this was a vicious evil attacking all kinds of people, including a, a, a Christian doctor who was selflessly giving himself and to, to work in missionary medicine. And we were galvanized to support him and the others who were sick. So this law professor considers that and he says, people can identify with human beings that are unjustly, unjustly suffering, but... We just don't have anybody but criminals. We just don't have anybody but criminals. And that's the problem of our parable, the problem of grace. Those other people and those other examples, they're wrongly suffering, and so it does not require grace to respond. In responding, you're just giving them what they deserve by rightness, okay? But listen to this question. I'm going to betray myself with the language. See if you catch it. How do you show grace to someone who does not deserve it? That's the problem of the parable. What, what if people at some point in this life say no to God the Father? We're not talking about the afterlife. We're not talking about judgment day. We're talking about in this life. If someone says no to God the Father, are they then beyond the reaches of of God's grace? Do they at that point become simply too undeserving? Did you catch it? Prisoners are the right example to use in light of this parable. I know that this parable is not about incarceration. The New Testament has a number of things about incarceration like you've heard. When you visit me in prison, you visit me. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them. This, this parable is not about that, but I think they're the right example to use convicts, convicted of crimes, seemingly the worst we have to offer, we would say. I think they're the right ones to prompt the conversation about this parable because that's who Jesus is talking about in this parable. Take, take a look. It's tax collectors and prostitutes who first tell God no and later tell him yes. Tax collectors who rob these people to line their own pockets, prostitutes who sell their body and violate God's design. In their eyes, these are the ancient equivalent of the 2.2 million incarcerated in America today. They have said no. At some point, they told God, no. 
there's this new Memphis organization called Just City, Just City. And they started the Clean Slate Fund recently. So uh, for, for those who haven't been incarcerated, haven't had trouble with the law, it's, it's not something we, we think about often, but a, a criminal record travels with you. You don't get away from it. Makes it hard to get a job, makes it hard to find a place to live. I mean, think about all the job applications you've filled out in your life. Is there not a place on there where it says, have you ever been convicted of a felony, right? You're a criminal. Makes it hard. It's kind of like this scarlet letter. Remember Hester Prine and Scarlet Letter? You just wear it with you the rest of your life. Makes it really hard. What you may not know is that for low-level offenders, it's, it's possible to get your record expunged, to get the slate cleaned, but it costs $350. So think about that for a second. You've been incarcerated, unable to work. You get out and you can't find a job because you have a criminal record, and now you have to come up with $350 to get the record clean so that you can get a job. Where are you going to get $350, right, legally? Where are you going to get that? So the Clean Slate Fund was started to pay $350 and wipe their slates clean. And they started doing this for low-level offenders in Memphis. So there was this story about the Clean Slate Fund in the Memphis Flyer recently, and it starts like this, the first line. America loves a comeback story, except when it's ex-offenders seeking redemption after they've served their time. And that's what those religious folks listening to Jesus would have said about tax collectors and prostitutes. Comebacks are great, but not for them. No comebacks for those folks. We get that, right? We get it. Labels are helpful. We're, we're tempted to label those people to say, well, 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 those are people who've said no to God, which by logic means that we're people who've said yes to God. Those people have said no. We've said yes. Us versus them. And as soon as we kind of fall into that trap, I think Jesus pulls the cord and we find ourselves hanging by our feet in the tree. All right, he's caught us. Because God the Father does not see them in this life as people who have said no. He sees them as people who might say yes, like you see your child. That's grace. So grace has all these huge ramifications, salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the forgiveness of sins. But if you were to boil it down to what it is at its essence, this, this is what I think it is. I think grace in this life is choosing to see people, all people, like God sees them, as someone with potential. Potential. So do we choose to see people as ones who have said no to God, or as someone who might say, yes. Okay. If we see them as someone who has said no, and not as someone who might say yes, we'll never show compassion, we'll never love them, we'll never be motivated by grace, we'll be consumed by fear. Okay. We will cross our arms when our brother comes home from squandering his wealth or home from prison and say, I don't wanna be a part of that party. But if we see ourselves, right, if we remove that barrier between us and them, and we see ourselves rightly as people who at times have said yes to God and more than once also said no, 
and still been called his son and still been called his daughter. If we believe that God died for us after centuries of Israel saying, no, no, no. If we believe that God died for us because he still somehow after all of that looked down on us and said, they might say yes. I still think they might say yes. If we think that's true, then how can we view anyone else, even those who have said no to God again and again as anything other than someone who might say yes? Just a few weeks ago, Lindsay and I were, were back in Aveline for their yearly lectureship, and we make it a point when we're there to go get some of our favorite Texas barbecue. So we walk into our favorite old spot, like usual, the line's out the door, and there's this gentleman in front of us, and he's probably in his late 50s, mid to late 50s. He's a gruff guy. I mean, he's really cut up, he's, and he's swole. I don't know what other, He's got a lot of muscles. And he turns to us, lines out the door, and he says, this barbecue must be really good. And, and we're like, well, don't, don't tell our church back in Memphis, but the beef brisket is to die for. Okay, and it is. You got to go. He asked what I did for a living, and I said, I'm a minister. Let me be honest, that usually ends the conversation. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, but I said, I'm a minister, and his eyes light up. And he reaches forward and he puts both hands on my shoulders and he says, I just got out of prison. At that point, I'm like, right. <laughs> he says, I just got out of prison. He's about to punch me with his bicep in the face. I just got out of prison, he says. He says, for a long time, I was living for myself. I was caught up in all kinds of evil. Life was awful. I got sent away for 30 years, 30 years, lost my life. He said, I got out not long ago and I went to this church down the street in Abilene here called Freedom Fellowship. Do you know it? And I said, yeah, I do. I know some of the people there. And he said, I went to Freedom Fellowship the other night and I heard the good news. And he said, it was the first time in my life I have ever heard good news. He said, all I have ever heard is bad news. And I went there and I heard the good news. And I tell you, my life's changed. He says, God's got a hold of me now. And I said, you know, God's got a way of doing that, doesn't he? I told him, God bless you, man. And, and I headed off into the restaurant to find a seat and he went to place a to-go order. And about the time I was sitting down thinking to myself, you know what, I should have bought his dinner, you know, made kind of this investment in his life turning around. I should have done that. Right about then I look up and there he is standing above me. And he reaches forward and he slips something into my shirt pocket. And I reach in there and I pull it out and it's money, it's, it's cash. I said, what's this for? I can't, I can't take this. And he said, man, I wanna bless your ministry. I wanna bless your ministry. You're doing good work, I wanna bless it. I said, man, I can't take this from you. If you're wondering, people do not often just give me money when they hear I'm a minister, right? <laughs> Usually, like you guys, you're like closing your wallet. Let's get out of here, right? Okay. He said, I said, man, I can't take this money. He said, no, I wanna give it to you. He said, the other day, I went to get my teeth fixed said, all those years of drugs and fighting, man, they did a number on my teeth. It was going to be $1,200, and I didn't have that money. But I went anyways, and I got there, and you know what? Someone had paid for it. Someone had paid for it. said, somebody gave me what I did not deserve. They blessed me, man. And so I want to bless you. 
I said, no, no, man, I, I can't take this. And he said, let me bless you. Is anybody, anybody beyond the reach of God's grace? They've said no before. They've said no. But maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe, just maybe, they'll say yes. Maybe you have not said yes to God yet, and you want to do it today. If that's the case, it's time. He's, he's just waiting on you. If you want to come forward and be baptized to say yes publicly, we'd love to share that with you. I'll be down front. Or, or maybe you, you've said yes and you've said no, and so you've got a heart for those who've said no a couple times. And you don't know what that means. You don't know if you're being called to go into prisons, but, but maybe you are. Maybe if, if you're one of those people that believes in grace, you'll go to that chapel at 10 a.m. this morning and hear a little bit more about prison and faith. I hope you do. Let's be gracious people. Will you stand and sing? Light up.